Summer, 1950. No one would call a colored, not yet African American ballplayer and a rookie ad man the ideal double play combination, even if the ballplayer was Jackie Robinson. The ad man? On Wednesday, May 24th of that mid century year, with no clients, some freelance assignments, no gray flannel suits, $3,500 in Army terminal leave pay, and notes of cheer from well-wishers, including a former employer and his rooster, more of whom later, I started Gilbert Advertising. Think of this. No computers. Only typewriters and calculators. Carbon paper, not printers. Email, what's that? No internet. Little commercial television. Print and AM radio, the dominant media. FM, only experimental. Your pencil was your valued partner, along with courage and imagination. For a period after my army discharge, I tried publicity, sold radio time, and worked as a copywriter. Advertising had a seductive lure. I was comfortable with my skills and just decided to jump in. The industry's ethnic barriers and shallow mainstream limited a newcomer's access to established firms. The easiest door to open was my own. I didn't know it at the time, but that humble post-World War II beginning enrolled me in one of the great entrepreneurial surges on record. Millions of us switched uniforms for pinstripes, started businesses, expanded the playing field, and set the stage for a period of growth and social change unmatched in American history. Talk about humble beginnings. I signed a short-term lease, a scary obligation, for a V-shaped corner on the 26th floor of 101 West 31st Street. Open a window and tissue layouts became model airplanes. There were three desks, a secretary, a part-time art assistant, a part-time production man, and a water cooler we shared with others on the floor. Dick Janover, my dad's accountant and a friend, stood watch over the modest numbers. Our windy Warren was blocks west of Madison Avenue. We looked down a busy 6th Avenue of fir and flower districts, pavement gardens, and rolling pushcarts. Traffic staggered in the traditional two-way pattern. In the mid-fifties, Commissioner T.T. Wiley, anticipating future gridlock, dramatically modernized the city's thoroughfares by installing one-way directions with timed signals, amber lights, and computerized controls. Commissioner Harold Barnes carried his work forward, and in 1965, Fifth Avenue was the last boulevard to fall in line. Hard to believe there was a time when patrolmen directed vehicular traffic in elevated signaling sheds, twelve feet above the famous roadway. Just north was New York's garrulous, feverish garment center, home of the fashion industry with its immigrant roots. It was the rare New Yorker without ties to the area. Mine were marital, blessed and bountiful. Life and business prospered with Marjorie at my side. She was also a model whose striking appeal helped land a pivotal fashion name. A neighbor of my parents, a busy and successful manufacturer's representative and garment center veteran, provided the first client lead. One of his brands was Lafer Sportswear. 
a relatively nondescript men's sportswear company that had been assigned production rights for a line of Jackie Robinson t-shirts. My neighborhood ally must have done a good job of pre-selling because Lafer partners were attentive and enthusiastic during the hiring interview. We were all on new ground. I didn't have any clients. Freelance didn't count. And they had never worked with an advertising man or woman. At the time, the latter hardly ever advanced beyond reception.